1: Welcome in to episode 245 of the Sources Say podcast. You can go to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Stressed about the big game, take advantage of their special offer for KSR listeners and protect your teeth from clenching and grinding for a limited time. They are offering 20% off bite guards and discounted therapeutic dice sport injections. Click the link in our show notes to schedule your free consultation offer ends April 4th. I'm your host Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined uh, once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you?
2: Oh, Sorry, my mic was muted. I am fantastic. Jack Pilgrim, how are you?
1: Well, I'm a little disappointed because this is the first show that we've gotten to do since previewing the SEC tournament. We were supposed to have a whole weekend of, of a lot of fun down in Nashville, live shows in front of fans and listeners. And uh, unfortunately, Kentucky was one and done down in the quarterfinals, losing uh, to Vanderbilt in basically the exact same script as the first round matchup or the the last matchup on senior night. Uh, Basically, everything that we talked about on that pregame show about what could not happen ended up happening. So it is what it is. We're back home. Kentucky uh, does not advance. Uh, they get sent home in the first round. Alabama goes on to win the SEC championship. Uh, and now here we are. Selection Sunday has come and gone, and we now have a path to uh, whatever that's going to be for Kentucky. We at least have the the path of what it will take for Kentucky to go on a run uh, in the NCAA tournament. Kentucky will take on Providence, 11-seed Providence, on Friday night, 7, 10 p.m. Uh, in Greensboro. I know you just got approved for it. I got approved for it. We're very excited to go down there where – uh, Sean, hopefully we can stay longer than a single night.
2: Yeah, dating then going back to the Vandy thing and the, and the show we had, the only two things that I got correct that day were Vandy was a desperate team and Jacob Toppin would play well. Those were the only two things that I think that I said out of that 45 minutes that even kind of came to fruition and, and stood true. But you're right. It's it's put that behind us now that that does not matter. It's NCAA tournament time now. Kentucky's a sixth seed. We were wondering if they would fall to a seven or possibly even an eight, given the way that they exited the, the the SEC tournament. Texas A&M gets a seven who won 17 league games and finished ahead of Kentucky and got to the SEC tournament final. So I have no idea what the committee did with seeding for a lot of these teams. But honestly, I like Kentucky's draw. I like where they're at. They do this stuff intentionally, though. Maybe Kentucky gets a six to match them up with Bryce Hopkins and Providence. And – Jack, I think you'll agree with me on this. This is probably the most pressure-packed NCAA tournament John Calipari has entered as the head coach at Kentucky. Just with the pressure on him, the pressure on the program to, to win a tournament game, to make a run, something that's not happened for a long time, I don't know what a loss to a former player would do but it would send people probably even to more of a downward spiral than what they have been in recent years. So there is a ton of attention and a ton of pressure on this program this week, but Kentucky has an excellent opportunity to get a win.
1: Yeah, as much as the NCAA selection committee says they don't factor in things like that, oh, we don't look at storylines, we don't look at narratives, we don't look at, uh, you know, potential TV draws and, and why it would be a better, you know, CBS versus true TV. Come on now, Kentucky versus... Uh, Bryce Hopkins, a, a dude that didn't make it at Kentucky, only averaged six minutes a game, frustrated, didn't play in the opening round of the NCAA tournament last year against St. Peter's, now has a chance to beat Kentucky as the premier player for Providence in the opening round to send Kentucky home again in the opening round. Come on, we're not gullible. We we know this is exactly how the NCAA drew, drew it up. And oddly enough, I think this is what Kentucky needed. I think they needed something to hang on to, something to uh, to, to kind of – I love the reaction that Jacob Toppin had when the draw was announced. I love that he stood up and immediately clapped and was like, woo, B-hop, let's go. Chin Coleman got excited because if it were St. Peter's, if it were another kind of no-name program that they didn't have any emotional tie to it or whatever – and it sucks that the team needs to have that, but I do think that this is a game that they're going to be up for, and I'm glad that they now have that edge. There's no reason that Kentucky can't come out with with without an edge going against a dude with that that said that he felt like a robot playing for John Calipari. I mean, the stories write themselves in to Kentucky's credit. I think it's going to help rather than hurt.
2: I agree with you, and uh, and once the tournament field had been announced and what it was, and we were watching the West, right, because we we thought that that was a possible landing spot for Kentucky it was an opening weekend in Sacramento, and then probably staying West and playing in Vegas, but then you saw the committee kind of shifting things, and they and they sent Kansas to that region, and then I was like, okay, like where Kentucky's seated here? I, I don't I don't know. Like, did did they get the East? And then when you got it and you saw that Providence wasn't off the board yet, I kind of was like, this is this has the makings of a 6-11 matchup for Kentucky, and I'm with you. This has been a team that needs that chip on its shoulder this season to, to play well, and that, that's not a thing that you want to have going into the postseason. It's not a recipe for success to win six straight. But if it jump starts that momentum again, that's what it might take. And this might be the one that they learn from, right? Like you get it started, and your hope is that they don't just let it go the other direction. You hope that they continue that momentum, playing Providence, playing a former player. One could say that Bryce knows everything Kentucky's going to do. Well, on the other side, Kentucky knows everything about Bryce Hopkins and what his struggles are, what his strengths are. These guys know these battles, Jacob Toppin versus Bryce Hopkins in practice. We know we know all about those battles a year ago. Uh, Kentucky, the, the, there's and I talked about pressure leading up to this, and it being on Kentucky's program, I could also see this where Bryce puts way too much into this and almost plays Providence out of a win by trying to do too much. So there's equal amount of pressure on him individually as there probably is on Kentucky to win this game. So this is going to be a battle of who maybe is poised and plays within themselves even more. And I think it's easier for Kentucky and it is for the individual player to do it in that stage. I uh, and-
1: I guess it's it's only fair to go back in time a little bit and talk about how we got to this point and, and how uh, kind of this internal rivalry kind of stemmed from. And we had said on this show from the very beginning uh, that in December, I mean, hadn't even gotten to the, the spring semester yet of last year, where Bryce Hopkins had his bags packed and, and made the decision that he w- he was going to be gone no matter what. Um, it was not. It was a very rocky start to his time at Kentucky because I think John. Calipari made it very clear you need to cut weight you're not working hard enough in practice and if you're going to continue at the rate that you're going right now you will never play for me at Kentucky I mean that's fact like that's exactly how his time at Kentucky started and the tone that was set there and rather than kind of using that as a motivating tool as a you know personal all right well they're doubting me and my ability to get in shape and, and and be the you know live up to the expectation that I know I can be the potential that I have he basically said well you know I I'd, I'd rather go somewhere else where somebody else can coddle me and and help me be the player that I know that I am. It's just a different coaching style. He needed an Ed Cooley in his life that you know would would kind of be a little bit less rough around the edges and and kind of ease him into the starring role that that he ended up having. And, and to their their credit, it ended up being a perfect match. He probably should have gone to Providence uh, to begin with. That's that's that was the runner up in his recruitment to start with, and it ended up being he wanted to be a Kentucky basketball player. And that's why he ended up signing with Kentucky. He wanted to play for a hall of fame coach and all that. When really coaching style and personality fit matched perfectly with Providence. He should have been there the whole time. And now I, I, I agree, Sean, I think that this is a chance for him to, to show that he was good enough, that he was, that, that, you know, he's going to put that weight on his shoulders to be that guy that he knew he could be. And I, I, I think it's going to backfire. I know the, the FT said at the very top, I'll open the chat uh, with a take. Bhop is either going to drop 30 on us or he will go two for 18 and single-handedly throw the game. I I I think there's a very good chance it's, it's going to be the latter. And it's interesting, Sean, that Ed Cooley even said in his uh, interview with CBS Sports after the fact, um, said that there's a chance that he's going to throw a ball off the side of the backboard because he's so nervous and he's so amped up. I don't see him settling in Throughout a game, a 40 minute game and just magically becoming the player that that team needs to kind of anchor their uh, their chances and and help them win down the stretch. So I I think that this could backfire and we could see a a Bryce Hopkins super inefficient. He's only had one game above 50 percent shooting uh, since February. So I I think this could actually backfire and I think since January, actually. so So I think this could potentially backfire, Sean.
2: I think so, too. And I, I just think that the, the pressure created by this matchup, and this is one of those matchups that we talk about where the committee does it to me intentionally, like you, is, is Texas A&M to be a seven seed just because there's a possible matchup with Texas in the second round as a seven and a two? It's like Kentucky in 2016, when we thought that they were misseeded and they matched up with Indiana in the first round. Like we, we always know, like if Kentucky is a one or a two and there's a Northern Kentucky or an Eastern Kentucky, they're going to draw who in the first round. Like there's always scenarios and, and those matchups that the committee looks to intentionally. And this is one of those. And it's not as much an unfair matchup as it is to Kentucky as it is to to Bryce Hopkins. And I, I think that just uh, just looking at it, I think all the, the more pressure is on the individual player. Kentucky as a team can do this together, but Bryce is going to probably for a moment feel like it's him against the world and him against Kentucky. And you saw the reaction last night when he learned that it was Kentucky. Like he was fired up and excited about it. not only his reaction, everyone in that room was doing what? They were finding Bryce Hopkins and pointing to him fist bumping him, hugging him because they were then you kind of knew, okay, this is a personal matchup. For him, But Kentucky, on the other hand, is like, you know, B-Hop. You know, B-Hop. Like, we're getting to play against B-Hop. And I think there's going to be some excitement on both sides. It creates an interesting storyline. It's a Providence team that is trending in the opposite direction from what their actual numbers are and metrics in Ken Palm. Like, yeah, like, they're an efficient offensive team over the course of the season. I think they sit 14th in adjusted offense and 108th in adjusted defense. But that defensive number in, like, the last 10 games is, like, 200. Mm-hmm. And the offensive numbers dipped as well. Those are the stats that you pay attention to. You do not go to the overall spectrum in the season here. You look at the, the latest sample is this is a team that's not playing good basketball entering the postseason. Minus two losses to Vandy, Kentucky has been playing good basketball entering the postseason. Uh, it's going to be a similar matchup to Vandy where Providence is going to go small and try to drive the ball and drive the ball on you. But I think Kentucky's built to have more success against this Providence team than they were against Vandy In the SEC tournament. And let's face it, too. Calipari said this Friday night in the postgame. You get to get out and away from the teams that know you best. And this team, sure, there's film on them. Providence is going to watch plenty of film on Kentucky. They probably already started that. But they haven't gone up against Kentucky. They haven't seen Kentucky in person. And it's just different. And there's different elements to it when you have three times and you have it once.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a Providence team that just lost. You know, that we we talk about Kentucky's senior day struggles and the uh, how disappointing that was to lose to Vanderbilt in a close matchup. One arguably the hottest team in the SEC, losing that one sucked. But you look at Providence's senior day; they lost eighty two fifty eight to a Seton Hall team that you know it's Seton Hall, like they're, they're okay. But that was a game that kind of set the tone going into their postseason. They've lost. Uh, They lost early in the uh, Big East tournament, just like Kentucky did. Uh, They've lost eight of their last 15, though three straight to close out the year. So this is, like you said, Kentucky outside of the bad matchups and, you know, the Vanderbilt games are what they are. But this is a Providence team that is actively playing bad basketball going into March. And I just do think it's a recipe for for failure for them, considering they've already – Bryce Bryce's usage has always been very high for this team as is and for them to kind of know that he is their saving grace well you know Kentucky more than all of us y- you fix it you you get us to the opening round and, and there's a-, a chat in the comment in, in the comment section that I want to bring up too um yeah says last night Ed Cooley refused to deny the rumors of him leaving for Georgetown that can't be sitting right with the players That. That's one that I'm keeping a close eye on because his name continues to be attached to that Georgetown job. All the high-profile John rosteins and uh, Goodmans—they they continue to bring up Ed Cooley's name alongside the the Georgetown job. Th- all of these kind of storylines on their end is putting so much more pressure on them than it's kind of taking away the pressure of Kentucky, St. Peter's hasn't won a tournament game since in X number of years, going down the list of, of the, those pressure filled things. It's almost putting the pressure now on Providence, which I think is a best case scenario for this.
2: I absolutely agree with you 100%. And, and two, another thing here, and okay, I thought you froze for a second. I was like, maybe we lost you, but. Another thing too, that I look at is how often do you have an NCAA tournament in a location in Greensboro where there's no Duke and there's no North Carolina? North Carolina didn't make the tournament and then declined the NIT. Duke gets sent to Orlando. Kentucky fans you as a six seed playing in Greensboro, we were planning to go to Albany when we were sitting in Nashville whether or not when they lost. I looked at you and I said, "Well, we're either going to Albany?" We're going to Sacramento. We're going to Des Moines. We're going somewhere that's not convenient. Greensboro is pretty convenient for Kentucky fans. And for the most part, out of all the schools that are going to be there, Kentucky fans will dominate the building when it comes to attendance. And we know that that's the case wherever they're at. If they're in Boise, there's going to be a lot of Kentucky fans. But more so when you don't have Carolina and you don't have Duke. And I also wonder, will there be some Carolina and Duke fans show up just to attend? Probably because at one point they maybe thought that those teams are going to be there. But – I think that that is another factor. like there's they're not going to have to compete for those ticket sales in the in those seats and not having one of those big programs there in the back in their own backyard. You don't see that often. i I'd like to remember a tournament where Greensboro was a location that they didn't have those teams in in the building. And like I'm, I'm sure when the season started, both teams probably thought Duke and Carolina both would get Greensboro if they were top three, top four seats. And then you and I were talking Tennessee would be Greensboro and they get sent to Orlando. So Kentucky, Honestly, I think got a pretty good draw. Not just with matchups, but I think they got a pretty good draw with location and staying on the East Coast as well.
1: Yeah, and just big picture with the draw, I think it's a lot of name brand programs, and I think that's why some of the the fans that just looked at the bracket on the surface are going, "Oh no, Tennessee and Michigan State and Duke and uh, you know even Marquette's been playing well." You just, I think on the surface level, it looks scarier than the actual matchups themselves. There's not a single matchup. In, in Kentucky's, assuming chalk holds, that, you know, that really scares me. I mean, I, I do think that the probably the toughest on-paper matchup, just from an analytical standpoint, is Providence. And if you get past them, I like Kentucky's chances against Kansas State, a defensive-minded team, Keontae Johnson. They have uh, a history together. Kentucky, um, you know, at least knows him and familiar with, with his game. Kind of similar situation with Bryce, um, just from a familiarity standpoint. And then, you know, from there – if you can get, get past the opening weekend, if you can get to that sweet 16, then at that point you get, you get Marquette uh, who has been playing well, but they're beatable. Uh, they, they've definitely not shown that they're this world beating program. Uh, you know, Shaka smart has them in, in tremendous shape, but, but still, it's not a team that has me shivering in my boots. And then uh, if you get to the elite eight, then you got Purdue, which they are who they are. Zach Eady versus Oscar Sheboy, all eyes on them, or maybe Duke surprises people and, and makes a run and, Elite Eight uh, in New York City, Madison Square Garden against Duke. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But a lot of name brand programs that I think are scarier on paper than they are uh, from an actual encore perspective.
2: Well, and, and when you get into analytics, metrics, and we dive into Ken Palm, adjusted offensive efficiency, adjusted defensive efficiency, and, and we're not – we're going to – let's just say Kentucky wins the first-round matchup against Providence, and let's say Chalk holds, and they play K-State. Kansas State is the team that Kentucky has had success against this season. The team that isn't super efficient offensively, but they're there in those numbers defensively. K-State right now is 52nd in offensive efficiency in Ken Palm and 19th in defensive efficiency. Those are the teams that Kentucky's beaten in its recent success It's had to close the year. The teams that don't score at a high clip, but they defend at a high level. Uh, Same thing can be said when you look at Marquette. This is why when you mentioned Marquette, you mentioned Purdue or those teams that Kentucky could, you know, run into a, a path there. Marquette is eighth in offensive efficiency, Purdue seventh in offensive efficiency. You threw out Duke, Duke 42nd in offensive efficiency. Those teams that are efficient offensively, offensively, those are the teams that Kentucky has struggled to beat. Vandy not a good defensive team, but just cont- they spread Kentucky out. Kentucky could not contain the basketball. Oscar not good in pick and roll. They hit open threes. Kentucky has to defend at a capable clip. To me, it doesn't have to be an elite clip. It just has to be a capable clip. You have to sh- get three stops in a row. Remember I told you the other night, Kentucky's going to get back in this game if they can get three stops in a row. Well, they end up getting four out of five possession stops, zero baskets, because they couldn't score the ball themselves in that moment. And that's where I'm coming from. Like, I I worry more about other teams that can score the ball, too, with Kentucky because I do have concerns about Kentucky's defense. But Providence is a team that struggles to defend significantly worse than Kentucky does. So you got to put up points.
1: I, I do want to address that elephant in the room uh, because I love how in our pregame show <laughs> we talk about the emphasis on offense. and like, man, I, I take it's
2: still there I, though. I,
1: I take the I take the offensive efficiency any day over the defensive efficiency. We don't really, even really need to worry about defense right now. It is what it is. I, I'd rather take a team that's firing on all cylinders offensively, but still sputtering a little bit defensively. And then, sure enough, opening round of the SEC tournament, that's what gets them sent home. But It it is what it is. I just think it's it's funny. But is it go figure?
2: Is it what got them sent home though, or was it the fact that they didn't hit free throws and they missed the front end of one and ones? Is it the fact that I thought there were some really odd time substitutions and momentum killers from John Calipari himself that I thought that really kind of deflated what Kentucky was doing? There were some. I think the thing that really threw me the most was I thought Cal and Kentucky would have looked at that game and said, hmm. We need to do something different than what we did the week before. And they didn't. They went with the same lineups. They went with the same, like when when Lance goes in there alongside Oscar, I'm like, what are you doing? And then you take people out when there's a a hot stretch of play. Like if after they gone on that run and put them up 14 to four, I watched that clip today on Twitter where Reeves hits the back-to-back threes, the building, the roof was about to blow off. And then they come out and there was no energy. Like Vandy regains the momentum after the timeout due to some lineup changes and some things there. And I was like, what are we, what are we doing? Like I somebody would have to physically look at me and say, I can't play for me to switch a lineup up after that moment. And then they had a nine minute stretch without a whistle late in the first half where they were where they had three dudes. Damian Collins sat at the table from the nine minute mark to the two minute mark, waiting to check in. And I just think that there were just some things there that just kind of rhythm got thrown off and Kentucky ended the first half poorly, which is another thing we did talk about on the pregame show. They needed Middle to start, eight. they needed to close the first half on a high note, and they needed to open the second half on a positive note, and they did neither one of those two. But I still stand by what I said. Offensive efficiency, are go- that's going to be the teams that are in the Final Four. The teams that can score points and put points up at a high clip are going to be the teams that are going to get to that Final Four and that final weekend. You just have to be a capable defensive team, and you can't have breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. Here's why. you got to do one thing. You've got to guard the basketball. That's what Kentucky could not do. They could not guard the basketball. They couldn't stop Andy in transition. If they can contain the basketball, then they can make some, some plays defensively with their length. But if you're chasing and chasing and chasing, and Oscar Sheba is not a rim protector, then you're asking for, for trouble. Guard the basketball. You don't have to defend at a top-10 clip. Guard the basketball, and I think it fixes a lot of the defensive issues, but Kentucky could not contain it.
1: I guess, how much do you think, Cason being at less than 100%, and uh, the lack of depth that Kentucky has right now in the backcourt, how much do you think that impacted the on-court or the, the on-ball defense that kind of led to some of the you know, break opportunities for Vandy and, and kind of broke things open for them uh, in that area and how much are you kind of zeroing in on that going into the NCAA tournament knowing what we just talked to John Calipari about with Xavier Wheeler coming back with uh, how much back to full strength Casey Wallace is CJ Frederick inching closer back and you know the just general health status of this team
2: uh, I'm, I mean, obviously, I have my concerns about rhythm and, and what's established, but this is why I thought it was such an important thing to play Case in the amount of minutes they did against Vandy because you saw that he wasn't in sync with himself, right? He wasn't in sync with mm-hmm. the flow of the game and, and things like that. He, he actually came up, he, I, I think he took a knee to a knee, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. on a play there in the second yeah. half. That's what it looked like happened. Uh, so we kind of held our breath when he walked off to the bench there for a brief moment and then he returned to the game for the final stretch. So, I think playing him the minutes that he that they did, it was more important to do it in that moment than to have to do it on Friday. So, like if you know Xavier Wheeler is is able and, and returns and able to give it a go, like how many minutes does he play? Like I don't think it's going to be a lot. I think it's kind of an as-needed thing. And then CJ Frederick, we know that he's banged up, and there's nothing really that he can do about his injury besides just not play, and that's not even an option at this point. So they're they're banged up. They're probably never going to be a hundred percent the rest of the way. That's just part of it. Like, what team in college basketball probably is 100% at this point in the season? Mm -hmm. Somebody's got some nagging injury. But I think the thing that I I take away from Vandy is I didn't really get anything answered. And I'm this guy that I want close games this time of year. Not now. Like, now you're in the NCAA tournament. Close games are going to kill me. Like, close games are going to probably put us all a couple years off our lives. But I wanted the close game against Vandy because I wanted to see what Kentucky would do offensively. Where would they go to? And this is where I'm afraid it's going to be the downfall. I am so concerned that in this tournament, Kentucky is going to get into a tight game and they're going to try to just slow it down and post Oscar. And you saw what happened in crunch time the other night when they tried to post Oscar's not a good passer. So one time they didn't get a basket. The next time he threw the ball away I get going to him if there's an advantage at times, but I, I kind of feel like Cal kind of looks at this, goes, oh, just just give it to get it to him six or seven feet from the basket. something good's gonna happen. No. get in that middle ball screen with Antonio Reeves or Kason Wallace. Get a guard going downhill and let Oscar do what he does best, which is live off the offensive glass running downhill out of a ball screen, and then have these shooters, whether it be Wallace or whoever, spot up ready to knock down shots. Jacob Toppin's a capable shooter right now, too, knocking down shots. So I I don't think we got anything answered when it comes to how Kentucky's going to operate in a tight game, needing a bucket down four or needing a bucket up four in the final four or five minutes of the game. And I thought that was the most concerning thing for me is I still don't know what they're going to do and what their identity is to close out games when it's win or go home.
1: Yeah, and John P. Ryan says Kaysen has to play better. Uh, I, I agree. And I didn't know necessarily what I was expecting with him. Uh, I think coming back, just throwing himself back in the fire. Uh, was he going to be sharp offensively? We talked about a- Antonio Reeves, you know, being more of an on-ball presence and maybe that kind of being a better complementary piece uh, with Kaysen being more off-ball, having better catch-and-shoot opportunities, whatever the case was. And we didn't see a whole lot of that. We just kind of – Uh, saw a a reset of what it was two weeks before. Um, So that was concerning. And the fact that he played 37 minutes, added in another nick to his injury report that already had a a, a dinged up ankle while playing 37 minutes. I thought that was kind of a worst case and getting the loss. We talked about kind of Kentucky being able to have its cake and eating it too at Arkansas, where you win without Kaysen. This was the exact opposite. The, I said this on the uh, reaction show last night. Kentucky got its cake and smacked himself in the face with it, with uh, with Kason playing 37 minutes and losing the game uh, in the opening round of the SEC tournament.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And the comment right there, stops only help if you score. That's what I was getting at a moment ago. I looked at you and Tyler the other night, and I said, Kentucky you will make a run right here if they can get three stops in a row. The game was 59-52. to 52. Kentucky gets three stops in a row, and you know what the the score was at the end of those three stops? Fifty nine to fifty two. And then they got another stop, and they didn't get a basket. One, I think they missed free throws a couple of possessions, and I think they turned it over another one, and then missed. Uh, I think they missed a shot inside of ten feet. You have, if you're getting stops, you have to get baskets on the other end, especially if you're trying to mount a comeback. This is a team that I don't think is built to play from behind. It's not at any point. Like I, if, if they get into a game here in this tournament and they're down nine or 10 in the first half, you're going to see me start to kind of have some doubts about whether or not we're going home and the season's over and me and you transition to who's going to be back and who's leaving and who and what's it going to look like and what's the temperature and the program around John Calipari. I don't want to have those conversations right now. Those are very uncomfortable and difficult conversations to have for a month before the tournament even gets wrapped up. So I, I want to stay away from that. But I think that's that's kind of what I'm looking at with this, is this is a team that needs to get off to a fast start or at least be able to trade baskets with teams until they can start stringing some stops together. But they have to play with the lead as much as possible because I think they're, they're they're significantly better when they play with the lead. And I mean that goes for any team. But I think that when they're playing, like at Arkansas, they build a lead and they never gave it up. And I thought that was the most impressive thing about that win. Tennessee at Rupp, they built a lead, never gave it up. The playing from behind thing, I, I just think it, it's, 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 just, it's difficult. And there has Kentucky won a single close game this year. When it gets down to having to execute, and it's a basket or two away, whether you have the lead or you don't, I still have questions about this team entering the final stretch of the season. That is my biggest concern. We usually get those questions answered in the regular season, and we see something that gives us hope. That is my one thing. If, if Kentucky's playing with a deficit, entering the under-eight timeout in the second half, or entering the under-four, I'm probably going to be, I'm going to have some doubts about whether or not they can get that win. If they have the lead, I think they're better suited to play that way. But they got to shoot free throws better, too, regardless of whether they're leading or they're not leading. That's That's a momentum killer.
1: Uh, John Calipari brought up the possibility of Sabir Wheeler making his return to Kentucky um, said that he will have some leeway this week. He kind of set some practice guidelines of if you're going to play in the NCAA tournament, you have to play X number of of days of practice to be eligible in my coaching book, which I thought was kind of interesting uh, referring to Jacob Toppin, Cason Wallace, CJ Frederick, Um, confirmed after the kind of weird back and forth that we got with Jacob Toppin, that he actually did have an injury and that it wasn't a hamstring issue. Um, And I like the response that Cal had there, but I also like the maturity that Jacob Toppin showed where he, you know, immediately was just like, I'm not injured. I'm cool. No big deal. But Cal going out of his way to be like, yeah, he missed four days of practice with a hamstring (laughs) issue. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, But the idea of Savir, being such a crapshoot just having no idea what he's like after missing him for an entire month how does that play into Kentucky how much does he play how much does he need to play how much does he need to sit on the bench what impact can he make I I think weirdly enough that's going to be one of the biggest storylines of this week potentially but I guess as we get closer Uh, to it seeing when he practices and the extent of it
2: I'll, I'll tell you this if it's a close game he doesn't play he don't play. I just I just don't see it because because if if he does play, let's think about this. Let's say that he's practiced and he's able to give it a go on Friday and Cal throws him in there, and he doesn't play well. What's gonna be said post game? what's gonna be said? Think about it.
1: All of the bad things that we heard for six months leading up to the season about roles and how much he needs to play. If yep. he plays a subs- a significant role in struggles, all of those six months of it's, controversial comments will be packed in to a 24-hour span that and, it's going to be loud. and It's
2: very loud. Yep. And it's setting... It sets the kid up for criticism. It sets Cal up for criticism. The perfect thing would be if you're in a comfortable spot and you've got a lead, and you can, and you need him like needing it and forcing it are two entirely different things. If you need him, you got to go to him. If you're forcing it just to force it, that's not a John Calipari thing to me. John Calipari to me doesn't really, when it gets to this type of year, he, it wouldn't shock me if he plays five dudes Friday, if he can get away with it and play on 37, 38 minutes each. And if it goes to overtime, somehow somebody ends up playing 46 minutes and they had an extra minute. I don't know. Like, that's the the type of John Calipari I know when it gets down to this time of year. I think you're going to see primarily six dudes play. But I think those five that start are going to be up in the 34s and 35s. I, I just don't see this thing if it's a close game. I think Cal's going to roll with the starting five. And not only Cal, I think you're going to see the same approach from Providence. This is going to be a starting lineup heavy game from both teams. And uh, whichever group's the best and whichever group gets off to a better start and sustains that success for 40 minutes. Look, you get to this time of year, the feelings are different. The emotions are different. Because you know you're going home if you're not playing well. You play in Nashville and, and Vandy's going on a run, you're like, mm, we still got next week. Mm, not anymore. It's You've got the next 30 minutes if you're lucky. And you, you better figure it out to, to get to the second round and get to Sunday. And I think a lot of times the first game of this tournament, then the seed that Kentucky's in, I feel like the first game is probably the hardest. If you're a higher seed, it's usually the second game that's the hardest. It's that second round matchup against an eight or nine if you're a one. How many of those do you see kind of give some difficulty for, for one seeds? So I think this could be Kentucky's toughest game of the weekend. Because I like them against Kansas State if that, if chalk holds and they advance there. So I think if you win game one, I think Kentucky has a chance to survive and get to New York City. If they get to that point in the season, all bets are off. You're playing basketball at that point. And you've got a chance to play your way into a Final Four. Win game one. That's the thing that they've not been able to do since that tourney win against Houston. They've not won a tournament game. Get that monkey off your back. Get, let the fans celebrate for 36 hours, and let's have some fun this weekend.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and I believe Stephen has the, the uh, clip rolled from um, John Calipari talking about Jacob Topham. Let's
0: roll that real quick. So those two. Uh, last week we had four guys not practice, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, including Jacob, who had a hamstring. And so they did not practice, the four of those guys. My And again, this week I told them, You'll either practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or you will not start, and you will come off the bench if you're a starter, and if you're on the bench, you're gonna be deeper on the bench. Um, when you're just doing scripting and you're not competing, it takes an edge away. We have to compete before we go in. So those are just some things, and, and someone said, Jacob said he wasn't hurt. Well. Jacob knows not to make an excuse when someone beats us. He knows we give them all the credit. We don't take away from their their wind, and we weren't going to, and that's why he said what he said. But, like I said, we've got to make some adjustments in how we're prepared. So,
1: and I, I like that answer from Cal, and I do appreciate that he kind of didn't throw Jacob under the bus and gave him credit for being mature in that. And, but also kind of provided some clarity, I think, uh, because it is understandable. Jacob played his butt off. I thought he was, I I thought he was absolutely terrific against Vanderbilt responded the way we talked about on the show saying, you know, he took so much, blame for that loss on senior night and said, you know, this was my fault completely. I need to be better. I was selfish, you know, putting so much on, on his chest and putting on, on his shoulders. And he responded in such a way that, you know, he was attacking the basket the way he, he attacked the glass and scored at will played in that, that, versatile face-up guy that we kind of knew he could be Uh, he stepped up in that way and was curious your thoughts on on knowing the matchup against Bryce knowing it's going to be a four versus four battle and and the the importance of that head-to-head battle I'm excited for Jacob and to see his response to this matchup in particular everything kind of building up to this moment for Jacob I think uh, I feel really good about a dude that has needed this this type of buildup. Versus a guy with a lot of pressure on his, sh- on his shoulders and Bryce to live up to his expectation on his team. And this
2: is a case where I look at this matchup too, and I think that Bryce has to do more for Providence than Jacob has to do for Kentucky. For Providence to, yeah. to win this matchup and beat Kentucky, I think Bryce has to do a heck of a lot more. Where Jacob, if his sole focus in this game is to defend and rebound and then make those energy plays like he did against Vandy the other night. Like Jacob's stat line the other night, was energy and effort. That's how he got to those numbers. That second effort at the rim and getting some garbage baskets and tip ins and, and staying active. So I think that that matchup alone, I think it, I think Jacob has more help in it because I could also see like, could, could you see a Chris Livingston maybe matched up a, a possession or two or here or there? Like, could you see Kentucky go that way if Jacob's both not six, in the game? Six,
1: six. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, both 6'6, like, 230 pound forwards
2: yep, I, I think that you could see I think Kentucky has some more you know options there for Bryce that then maybe the, the Bryce needs to be very, very good for Providence to win this game. Jacob doesn't have to go get twenty and ten for Kentucky to win this game. Jacob just has to if that's his one job is to slow down Bryce Hopkins, let Oscar Sheba go get his stat line. Maybe Kason Wallace is is getting more offensively. Antonio Reeves knocks down open shots. Kentucky's got some options to to survive this game. But uh, the one thing there, though, that Cal did say, you really think if somebody doesn't practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, do you think that he's not going to start Jacob Toppin on Friday night? Because if if Jacob didn't do that thing, then he went and got 20 and 10 or whatever in a double-double the other night by not practicing for a few days. (laughs) So, I mean, did we really lose the aggression and everything there? Because I thought that Jacob Toppin was the most aggressive player on the floor. And if he didn't practice or was hampered by a hamstring injury, I couldn't tell. Like, I I thought he looked 100%, and I thought he was giving it – he played like a guy that knew what time of year it is. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what you need. You need guys that know what time of year it is. I've not known what time it is for 48 hours now since the clock's moved forward. But you know (laughs) what I mean. Like, they they know that it's March Madness, and they know that it's do or die – and there's guys on this team that felt what they felt last year when they lost to St. Peter's, and I guarantee you they don't want to feel that again.
1: I agree. Uh, Robert Peterson says, you live off false hope. You don't even yell the truth. Uh, who is going to stop Hopkins with no shot blocker and a post player with no post moves? Providence is going to play two three zone. Robert who is going to guard Oscar Sheboy Uh, like that's the thing that's kind of frustrated me and made me laugh with Kentucky fans on social media as soon as this announcement was drawn well Bryce is going for 35 points and Kentucky might as well pack their bags for one night because they ain't winning that game it's like they're playing in the Big East this is this is a team that yes on paper they look a lot kind of like Vanderbilt and a team that struggle that that Cause Kentucky to struggle in that way, they're going to play a three guard lineup, quick guards, small ball, all the kind of trigger word, buzzword things that we, we've seen with this Kentucky team uh, struggle against Vanderbilt. So I, I understand the on paper struggles, but this is still SEC versus Big East. This is there's a reason why Bryce was able to go in playing 34 minutes, admittedly, and he's been he's been terrific. It's, this isn't even a slight of him, but if he played 34 minutes a game at Kentucky, he was not going for 16 and eight a game. And that's that's my argument. The reason why he's been as productive as he's been is because he's been a high usage player that has fit in the biggies. He is he is a, a an Ed Cooley player to a T. Yep. Now he's going back up against Kentucky guys that he did OK with in practice. And, and he started out really strong when he first got on campus. I remember he was the hottest name. Oh, he's going to be one of Kentucky's best players. All that last last summer. But that tailed off quite a bit because when push came to shove, it was the SEC athletes that kind of separated themselves against a guy that – he's a Big East player. He is a, he is a physical, yes. small ball for Big East talent that with, that thrives under – like him going to Ed, play for Ed Cooley was a, a perfect fit for him. But how does that actually match up against a 6'10 guy like Jacob Toppin, as versatile as he is? Bryce is not an elite defender. How is he going to guard Jacob Toppin? Like, you, you we talk about well, how, how are we going to shut down Bryce? How is Bryce going to shut down all of Kentucky's pieces?
2: And, and, the, and the truth of this, <clears throat> there's probably a middle ground here somewhere where we're probably talking way too much about Bryce. <clears throat> probably more so than what we should have. And I've made that mistake as a coach before, where I've talked about a player so much that they probably it was LeBron James when we lined up to play him. So, you know what I mean? Like, and I thought our buddy Brandon Ramsey made a really fair point on Twitter earlier today. I don't know if you saw his tweet, but he was talking about that, you know, just a reminder Kentucky went 26 and 8 last year with Bryce averaging 2.1 points and six and 6.5 minutes per game and not playing in the tournament and beat some really good teams along the way. Like, you're happy for Bryce. It's worked out for Bryce. That's, what's, that's what we wanted. Bryce is a good kid and we wanted him to be successful. That's a recruitment that me and you were familiar with and talked a lot about when in leading up to Kentucky and, and everything. So, I think probably we're, we knew we would talk a ton about it. It's a really good storyline because it's good for our jobs, because it gives us plenty of stories and interviews, not just leading up to the game, but after the game Friday night. But we probably talked too much about it. Like it's, there's probably, there's other things about this matchup that we need to talk about. And somebody mentioned uh, Providence playing 2 3 zone, and Cal's not going to do this. I know he's not. You know how much I would love to see Kentucky mix in some zone especially Friday night just to kind of limit some of the the dribble penetration that Kentucky struggle with you don't have to live in it I'm just saying come out of a timeout of a media timeout or something where you're you're defensively starting the possession and sit in a zone for a trip or two just to change the rhythm and the flow of the game if a team's knifing you and snaking you to death out of ball screen and things like that and getting to the rim just go zone a couple of trips and then maybe you go back man just if they could mix in seven, eight, nine, ten possessions of zone, I think it would do wonders for this Kentucky team defensively just because it's keeping the opposing bench off balance and it kind of makes them think about it. And it gives teams something else to have to waste their time to on. How many teams do you think prepared to run their zone offense in the, the walkthrough and the pregame leading up to Kentucky? No possessions? Yeah. Up? Yeah, just mix it up and, and throw sure. it in there, sprinkle it in here and there just to change something. Maybe that'd be the tweak. Mix in zone here there. If you get 10 possessions of zone, it would change the flow of the game and maybe halt some runs and maybe jumpstart a run for Kentucky if they can mix it in. But Cal's not going to do it.
1: But why? Uh, I just don't get it. I, I, okay. I, that, mm, very frustrating. Uh, yes, as you're, people. You're, you're annoyed uh,
2: too, right? <laughs>
1: uh, unbelievable. You, um, you want to see it? People acted like the uh, acted like this about Nick Smith, and he shot Arkansas out of the game. Exactly, I you know. I, I completely agree. Darkness. Uh, the reason Hopkins is on their team is he didn't want to compete for playing time at UK. I'm not afraid of him at all. Like, yeah, I, I completely agree. I I this am not. This comes I down. To I think this one this thing. plays into Kentucky's favor.
2: This comes down to this game comes down to one thing: Can Kentucky guard the basketball? If they can contain the basketball even 50% of what they couldn't against Vandy. Kentucky marches on to Sunday to play in the second round in the round of 32. If they don't guard the basketball, this is going to be a game that Kentucky could lose. Especially if Providence hits a if prep if Providence shoots above their season season average of 35% from the three-point line and Kentucky struggles to guard the ball, Kentucky might be going home. But if they shoot their season average and Kentucky contains the dribble drive, at a more successful clip than what they did in Nashville into the close of the season, then I think Kentucky leaves this first-round matchup with a win and moves on to Sunday. It's that simple. I I think guarding the basketball is the primary adjustment Kentucky needs defensively right now. If you can't contain and guard the basketball, I don't care what your pick-and-roll coverage is. I don't care what you're doing behind those rotations and and what you're doing, or if the team's shooting a a high clip from three-point line or what. Now, Vandy did hit some shots at the horn in the game at Rupp Arena, and the game in Nashville, that if you take the the late three at the buzzer where the ball almost went over and back, and then another one late in the clock, like those are five points right there that if you you wipe out, it's a completely different game entering the final stretch than Jacob Toppin literally just missed a three point play that could have given Kentucky new life late. Like Kentucky didn't have things go in their favor, but that's where you've got to do the the key attention to detail things. That way those things aren't like momentum killers and daggers in your season. You get to this point of the season and and one thing is off and you're going home. So you you have to lock in. It starts with guarding the basketball. If they can just adjust and guard the basketball at a better clip, I think this team's defensive numbers can climb and I think their offense efficiency will be there and there'll be a team that can make a run.
1: Yeah, and I've said I think the physical tools have always been there. And I, I do think that I, – and I question how much – Case and Wallace's hurt ankle impacted what I will be totally fair and, and admit that it was a, a very poor defensive outing for him uh, individually. It, it, when he continues to get his feet wet and get, it gets back to 100%, how much will that help the team's overall on-ball defense and just the, the defensive struggles that, that have been so clear uh, in recent weeks? I also, keeping a very close eye on the fact that that Providence does not have a great bench. They're not a deep team at all. They will uh, very top-heavy uh, very balanced, top heavy. Uh, their entire starting five is very solid, but they do not have a lot of depth. This is a game that I kind of like to see Kentucky push the pace a little bit and, and try to wear them down. Get Oscar some touches and, and wear them down physically while also getting the the, the pace, setting the pace and the tempo, and, and forcing them to their bench, which is admittedly weak. I, I like Kentucky's chances in, in that in that regard.
2: I do too. And uh, I think I agree with you hundred percent. And this is a different tournament where you're not playing back to back days. Now we know Kentucky only played the one day in Nashville, but when you don't play a ton of guys, you at least have a day off in between to prepare. And, and that helps uh, to me. Another storyline to watch in this game is which team avoids foul trouble. And where does that foul trouble plays? Hit? It.
0: Plays over the depth yeah. too.
2: Yeah. I think that that plays in, if it hits in Kentucky's front court and they're without Oscar Shibway you know, what's it do? Or if it hits in the backcourt, like when Antonio Reeves went out the other night, you kind of lost all hope that Kentucky could mount a rally and hit the shots that they needed to down the stretch. There's going to be foul trouble. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Bryce or Jacob is one of the two that gets hit with foul trouble, depending on, because Providence is going to give the ball to Bryce early and force it, force it, force it, to try to get him what? Try to get him going. They're yeah. probably going to attack Oscar Sheboy some early and try to get him out in foul trouble. We know with what we've seen on tape, it's going to be a lot of ball screen and right at attacking Oscar with that bounce getting downhill. And where you're going to see it, they're going to try to do the exact same thing that Vandy did. And I think a lot of the, the more modernized coaches and stuff in college basketball, they've found a way to have success against Oscar Sheboy and attack him. And I think that the blueprints there, that they're going to try to do the same thing. That's where I'm saying Kentucky has to contain the dribble drive and the basketball at a much higher clip. And if they can, I think some of these other defensive issues kind of take care of themselves. And then, look, Kentucky dominated the glass the other night. But it didn't matter. Vandy didn't miss a free throw, and they shot lots out from three, and then their two-point field goal percentage was at a high number too. And Kentucky's was a low number in all three areas, from the field, from the three-point line, from the free throw line. It was the perfect storm to lose a game, but they still had a chance to win the game down the stretch. They just could not get the – they got the stops they needed at times, but when they got those stops, they didn't get baskets on the other end. You can't waste those stops. You know, you, you call them kills if you get three stops in a row because those are how you kill momentum and start momentum. Kentucky was just, it was just kill, kill, kill on both ends. They were killing themselves too and, and killing all that momentum. So,
0: okay, round two. Name something that's not boring
1: a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for
2: your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchases. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I think a good start early and sustained effort throughout. Uh, It's the NCAA tournament. You're going to have a game of emotions. I think this is also a tournament where Cal's emotions have to be in check, too. He can't lose himself on the he sidelines because when he when he does, his team does it too. Orlando Antigua gets paid more money to keep him out of trouble than he does anything else in the forty minutes of a basketball game. Watch watch Coach O every time Cal gets animated, like he's up there like, and then Cal tells him to sit down like half the time. Yep, <laughs> it just just standing there trying to stay in front of him. Like it's an, it's entertaining to watch. I want to see Cal also let the craziness go. Like if something happens. You're not changing it. Right. Don't let that one play and that momentum build into a second or third thing against you. Lock in and say, look, it's us against the world. If we take care of us, we're going to be okay. That's what I want the approach to be. Refuse to lose, not just from the guys on the floor, from the guys on the sideline as well.
1: Yeah, I'm feeling good. I I thought I would be more down on this team leaving Nashville because just – it just felt like a, it's such a big step back as it was happening, but driving home from Nashville, I was like, man, it, it's, it's all the same stuff. It's all the same, uh, you know, not staying engaged for a full 40 minutes. It's the, you know, not fighting uh, defensively. It's, it's, you know, giving up momentum the last four minutes of the first half and the first four of the second half, it's little things like that. It's like uh, there wasn't any struck anything structurally wrong with, Kentucky is just another one of those like, damn. Here, here it goes again. Exactly what has kind of killed Kentucky all year. Nothing absolutely glaring that made me go, well, this team doesn't have a shot. Uh, and, and I did like their response. It was kind of a you know mixed bag of emotions afterward in the locker room. Uh, you know, Jacob Toppin saying all the right things. C.J. Frederick's, you know, tr- trying to be the leader of the locker room and say, you know, we uh, we we can't let defensive lapses you know, turn into three, four minute stretches of, of of a lack of engagement and things like that. Uh, They all said the right things, but I I left feeling pretty positive after the fact going, you know, it sucked. You wish that we had more than a couple days in in Nashville, but this team has always been built for March. John Calipari said from day one that all, all of their efforts, and it's a lot of pressure to put on these kids to say everything boils down to this, this week, but If you're you're going to build toward March and and say that all all year long, then you got to put your money where your mouth is and build toward March and and, and put put everything out there this week.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to ask you this because I think this is a fair question. What does this team have to do for the fans – and not just the fans i think for us that cover the program on a daily basis that I, this is my 6th year on the beat this is my 4th NCAA tournament that i'm going to cover in person obviously the the covid year would the team didn't make it and then the cancellation the year before so fourth tournament since i've been on the beat 6 years what does but this program's like in a completely different spot than what it was when i joined the beat it's in a completely different spot from what it was when you joined the beat so what do you think that the program has to do over the course of the next three weeks to kind of just right the ship and the momentum back in the right direction to where if they don't win a national championship and we're sitting here on sources, say in mid-April, what needs to happen for us to have positive conversation about, okay, we're getting back on track here. We, we didn't win number nine. Maybe is it as a final four? Is it a run to the regional title game? Is it just, is it getting out of the first weekend, getting to the sweet 16? Like what needs to happen to build momentum onto what's coming next year? Now, can you catch lightning in a bottle and get to a final four and win a national championship? When you look at the number of seeds that have done it the last 10 years, most are ones. There was a seven seed in Yukon that did it that beat Kentucky. Like, is is this the year that a six seed does it? Like, what has to yep. happen, Jack, for for you to for you personally and then for the fans? What is and maybe the fans can tell us in the chat? what needs to happen? What would you be satisfied with that say, okay, I'm happy. Like this, we're finally, I feel like we're getting somewhere now and building on what's coming in recruiting wise.
1: And I I had this same argument on on radio this past weekend and there's still a lot of, I'm sure we'll hear a lot of it in in the, in the chat. There's, there's still a mindset of, well, okay, if Cal's going to build toward March all year long and say nothing matters leading up to that, then, we had final four expectations going into the year. They need to make a final four. I'm not that far. I consider a successful year with this individual team. If they make it to the Sweet 16 and compete, and ideally Elite Eight. I look back at the you know Darren Fox, Malik Monk year, and I go, damn, that's a that was a really, really good team. Elite Eight, they lost at the buzzer. Luke yeah. May, team that ended up winning the championship.
2: Yeah, probably a shot away from winning the national championship, really. Because whoever won that you, you, game was probably winning the thing.
1: You you take that. I don't know if I'm even that far because Kentucky was a team that was clearly capable of winning a national championship. And they just got beat against a team that was just ever so slightly better, got the lucky shot at the very end. Uh, so I, I think if you can get to the Sweet 16 and fight and it's a matchup situation or, a, you know, comes like they can't go to the Sweet 16 and get steamrolled to Marquette. You, you, that can't happen. They they need to go in there. They need to compete and lose in an 83, 82 game. That make me go. All right. They recovered well, but ideally, you win that game. You get to the elite eight, and then whatever happens happens. I, I'll f- I would feel very good about the trajectory of this team. How the the rock bottom that they hit at Missouri and kind of around that time frame, their bounce back to get to that point. If they make it to the elite eight, I'm cool.
2: But if if chalk holds. And you told Kentucky fans when the season started that they could play Providence, Kansas State, Marquette to get to the Elite Eight. What are fans saying?
1: You need to win those three
2: games. You need to win those three games. And then and Marquette's a program that's that Kentucky's not like seeing in postseason play over the course of history. So I, I think Elite no Eight, I, yeah, I think uh, Sweet 16 would be getting to the second. Honestly, if you want me to be honest, getting a win. Is the first step in the right direction. Get a win, win Friday. That's you have to do that one before we can talk about the other stuff. But after that, I think a first round, I think a first weekend exit just makes the noise louder. I think getting, I think getting to this, I think getting to the second weekend and playing competitively, like you said, gives fans some hope that it's trending in the right direction again and builds some momentum and gives you a taste of March. But if you get to the second weekend, then at least you had an opportunity to play your way into the final weekend. And I think having an opportunity to play your way to the final four, I think that's a scenario that you accept. It's like getting to a championship. Or If you get to the final weekend, you're in the conversation. So I just want to be in the conversation for the final weekend, and then let's see what happens from there. Because then it comes down to execution, who's playing better basketball.
1: And to their credit, as we said earlier in the show, Kentucky has – always responded in this moment in particular losing uh, at home against South Carolina going a four-game winning streak losing at Georgia going on a four-game winning streak four four wins gets you to the final four so it sounds crazy but if you're telling me that your path is Providence Kansas State Marquette and Purdue Duke Tennessee team that you've already beaten twice I mean I, you take that path, and if you get to that point, then then all bets it's, are off. Like I still physically, the tools are there. As I've said all year long, going into the year, no matter how bad things got, we use it against them, saying that this team is way too talented to uh, you know struggle the way they were. But to their credit, when they are struggling, they also kind of get the benefit of the doubt in that regard, where you go, well, I, I know that Oscar Sheboy is capable of taking over a game. I know that Jacob Toppin is capable of taking over a game. Antonio Reese, Casein Wallace go down the list, but we have the the dudes on the, on this team to make a run. It's just about playing cohesive for four games to get you a final four. Can they get to that far?
2: Do you give Michigan state any chance at all of that being a Kentucky Michigan state battle in, in New York, if, if that plays out. And if it does, how much confidence do you have that Kentucky could avenge its loss to them? And I know we're getting literally a week ahead, but Tom Izzo in March, as a seventh seed, do you really think Marquette's sitting there happy that they could have to play Tom Izzo and and Michigan State in the second round? Probably not. Like I could see a scenario where Michigan State's in in New York with Kentucky and and Duke there, and and it being a really exciting regional with with teams that you usually see as a Final Four or probably the, some Champions Classic like look to it. That's kind of what I was thinking. In Cham- Champions with Madison, yeah. Madison in Garden. Square Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I I could see that being the way this goes. But I also say this. I think Oral Roberts is a trendy upset pick in that first round game. Max Amos. They're efficient offensively, and what do I say about efficient offensive teams this time of year? I like efficient offensive teams, especially in a one-game, lay-it-all-on-the-line moment, where in this tournament, if you're making shots early, you give yourself a chance late. If you make shots early and guard play carries you, you have a chance. So I don't know. It's going to be a fun tournament. I don't know who Cinderella is this year. I don't know who St. Peter's is, but we know there's going to be one. There's always going to be a team that's going to pull an upset, make it to that Sweet 16. Uh, I think there's a lot of teams that could do it. But this is going to be a fun tournament. I don't look at this thing and go, there's a clear-cut champion. Like, Alabama's getting a lot of attention. Cool. That's fine. Nate Oates still has to show me that he can do it when it matters most. Mm -hmm. So... The league got eight teams in, eight teams, and you with seed the, Texas A&M health. a seven. You seed Texas A&M it's a seven
0: terror.
2: in a league that got eight teams in, and they finished second in the league. Like what? I don't, I don't Robert. understand. I, I, I do not understand at all. Like I think the league got a lot of respect, but I think they, I think the committee kind of threw a slap in the face with the way that they seeded some of these teams as well. Like, I don't know. But guess what? Seeding doesn't matter. Just go play basketball. That's where we're at now.
1: Let's go play basketball. Let's hope uh, our trip down, you just got approved for Greensboro. We're going down uh, Thursday morning, I believe, to get down for the open practices and all that stuff. Um, Last time we had an NCAA tournament show, it did not go very well, Sean. So we're going to be watching our words very, very, very carefully this time around, uh, depending on how that uh, open practice goes. I'm probably going to say that Providence looks like world beaters in their shoot around the day before. And uh, I'm, gonna not, Bruce
0: Hopkins, I'm gonna say Hopkins."
2: I'm gonna say Bruss Hopkins grew two inches overnight. That's what I'm gonna say. Like, God, he's he's six ten now, six nine. Like just I'm saying nothing but positive things. I may even pick Providence to win on our pregame show <laughs> on Friday, just to kind of I don't want to remember what happened to us last year. Remember Tennessee fans coming in the lobby of the hotel and giving us hell. Mm-hmm. And then we had to watch them. Sure do. Yep. Yeah. And then I don't really remember that night. That was a, we were up till four thirty, just kind of drowning our, our sorrows and our pain. And I really don't want to do that again.
1: I, I don't need shooters. I need handle makers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was, what, what a night that was. Let's hope for a, uh, not a repeat of that. We definitely need uh, some momentum. It, Cal said yep. that this is, this is all that matters. So, so we're, we're I I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in this circumstance. New season, brand new season, everybody in America is is 0 and 0 right now. Let's roll. I am uh, And we
2: look we need to... people at, and we need people at our shows when we go live down there. Like we need to we need to like we need we want some actual people sitting there with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. We'll so be and uh,
1: it, it, it will yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll be more of a, a head start, give people an update on when, you know, when we're going to be there instead of five minutes before it starts sitting down at the second floor lobby of the Omni and say, everybody come find us. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely make it happen. So uh, before we get out of here, one uh, quick message from our friends, uh, our friend Andy Ludecki. Today, we are welcoming a new sponsor to the Sources A podcast, myperfectfranchise.net, and Andy Ludicki, a franchise consulting company that helps others find franchises that will fit their needs, skill sets, investment requirements, and time commitment restraints. Andy is a big college sports fan, husband, and father of three children. He says they're growing up way too fast. You might have seen Andy's name on KSR before as he sponsors some of our recruiting coverage. Andy's super nice. Great to chat with. And we are really excited to continue our partnership. Andy is an experienced entrepreneur and has been helping others go through the same process that changed his life 10 plus years ago. If you are wanting to find out a way out of corporate America or a way to diversify, please reach out to Andy. He's got a a ton of knowledge in this world. Best of all, his services are 100% free to you. Uh, as always, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You can learn more and contact Andy anytime at myperfectfranchise.net. Sean, let's get out of here. Let's let, let's get down to Greensboro. Let's have a good time, and let's get a damn win in the NCAA tournament. It's uh, about that time. Sean, uh, tell fans where they can find your work.
2: You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry.
1: Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim, KSR. Reach out to me via email. Jay at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources Day Podcast. We will see you then. With lucky landslots,
0: you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to – has anyone seen the bride and groom?